Well, on this day, on January the 25th, 1969, that's 54 years ago, in a humble major in Monorewa. <laughs> In a humble manger. In Monorail, Mun- <laughs> South Auckland, I was born. And this absolute killer song was number one in the charts. The song eventually became a Motown classic, but it had a rough start, as did I. <laughs> in Middlemore Hospital, I think it was. So there you go. Happy birthday to me, James. Happy birthday to you. I brought, Thank you, you. A, I brought you a present. Thank the, you. What this is, is the standard currency of language <laughs> schools over the world. Chocolate. A crunchy. Mini crunchy. There you go. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Many, many yeah. happies. <sighs> many happies. And the, can I just say that Bridget made it, your producer Bridget made a phenomenal character. Shout cake. out to one of my producers, the a wonderful Bridget Burke. Uh, you've, you've, you've tried it. I'm not, a, I'm not a cake fan. I'm actually not a birthday fan. I was made to walk into this birthday lark. I tried my best to hide it. I actually did. I I, I checked Facebook as <laughs> anything. I tried to erase every bit. Someone sneaked it out, sneaked it out, and I had this amazing spread by my wonderful, truly wonderful colleagues on Level 3 at RNZ Auckland, and I'm truly humbled. It's been a wonderful, wonderful day. So kia to you folks, uh, and thank you very much. And yes, the carrot cake, how did I, how, how, it was moist. It was moist. It, it had bits of carrot, but not too much carrot. Correct. The the cream was sweet, but not too sweet. And not overpowering. Yeah, exactly. It was it was balanced. You got it, it you see? Balanced, yeah. And how hard is it to make a balanced carrot cake? Very difficult. Mm. So what do I give it? I give it a 9 out of 10. There right. you go, my highest score, carrot cake ever. It's 25 to 5. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Big response regarding uniforms. We're trying to get to some of that later. But this is great. If you search... Who scored the most goals in international football? Your search engine will tell you Cristiano Ronaldo with 118 goals. But Christine Sinclair actually holds the record with 190. And how many times has New Zealand won the Rugby World Cup? Well, the Black Ferns have won it six times. But the internet will tell you three times as many as the All Blacks. We've taught the internet our biases, so Global Initiative Correct the Internet is trying to fix it. This is an absolutely fascinating story. I want to talk about it. With us is team lead on Correct the Internet, founder of sports marketing organisation Team Heroin, and former football fern Rebecca Sowden. Kia ora, Rebecca. Kia ora. Thanks for having me, and happy birthday. Look, thank you very much. Special day. <laughs> We're trying not but, to make too much. No, fun, no, but, you know. let's not make too much of this. <laughs> um, I was riveted by this. I didn't know that um, we are we are entering into this incredible bias. When I Google something about women in sport, it just it doesn't tell me the truth, Rebecca. Exactly, and and that's the reason we've come up with correct the internet, which is an initiative by a collective group of like-minded people, including DDB, a production company called Finch, and we've managed to garner the support of a bunch of sports and women's organisations like New Zealand Football, Women's Sport Australia, who all found that when we were searching for information or stats on sports or sportswomen, we were getting served the incorrect information. So give us an example. Give us a concrete example. Okay, sure. So, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of them there, but um, if we were to ask which New Zealand golfer has won the most majors, 
The internet says it's Michael Campbell and Bob Charles with one each. However, it's our Wahine Toa Lydia Ko with two majors. So that's just a real local example there. But it's not the only one. We've identified um, over 30 of these stats. So we're on a mission to help raise awareness about the inaccuracies. Because I think these days the internet's like when we were young, the encyclopedia where people go to it and kind of trust the information they're presented, particularly when it comes to sports facts. So we want to raise awareness around those inaccuracies, but we actually want them to be corrected. So we've created a tool on uh, correctthenternet.com where people can go in, see some of those facts we've identified as incorrect, and actually just follow an easy uh, few steps to help kind of copy and paste and provide feedback to these search engines. I mean, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. You, you mentioned that many of the world's sporting records are held by women, but when people search online for factual sporting information about athletes, the results favour the sportsmen. Yeah, I mean, not in every case, but what we're finding is it skews towards male athletes, male teams, male sports. And I think, you know, we all saw the success of the Rugby World Cup with our Black Ferns winning, and we all felt that proud pride and joy. And I think one of the standout players was Portia Woodman with her phenomenal score train ability. And again, the internet says that Brian Habana and John Alomu have scored the most tries in Rugby World Cups, when again, it's Oh my gosh! So, I think as a Kiwi, we probably can feel this injustice um, after witnessing Porsche's amazing heroics at the Rugby World Cup final at Eden Park. I know you're jumping. You want to get in there, James? I'll just go to uh, Janet first on this. Um, Rebecca, this is fascinating stuff because I know that analytics in, in news journalism is notoriously hard to, to alter. Isn't, mm-hmm. Is there a chance that you could have what I'd call the Wikipediaization of, of your tool and people will try and change it not for good or honourable reasons? Yeah, well, I think you that's know, a really good question. How, how um, do you stop that as part of, your, as part of yeah. the tool you've created? Yeah, you're right that the internet bias has been generated by us people. Um, so, you know, we do need people power to kind of help alter that and give the correct statistics. But, yeah, you're right. On the flip side, um, that could, you know, come under jeopardy like Wikipedia. I think for me, the search results that should be or, or coming up the most should be from the official kind of record keepers. So, you know, in the instance of football, right. I feel it should be coming from the likes of FIFA or UEFA, those, you know, official record keepers and historians who keep that information. Um, so particularly right. in sports, we know that there's each of these world bodies that hopefully it would be driving to those correct information and correct statistics. James. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? This is, this is an extraordinary story. Yeah, look, congratulations, Rebecca. I've absolutely been guilty of those biases, absolutely. And, and, in what know, way? Trying to, oh, I'm just assuming at times I've yeah. talked about it simply referring to the men. And I'm trying, I will try to do better. A wonderful website. It's incredible functionality, uh, which I looked today. I pulled out those ones on the golf and the rugby. But uh, yep. tennis is a sport that I've followed. And if you, my question is, who's won the most U.S. Open titles? Djokovic, Djokovic, three. Nadal, four. Federer, five. In second place on nine, Bob (laughs) Bryan. But the leading US Open title winner is Martina Lavratilova on 16. 16. 
And she played doubles and mixed doubles as well as singles. And you might say, oh, she played extra tournaments. That's even more impressive that she was winning. Yeah. She was playing in three different events in the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing. We just want to give these sportswomen the recognition they deserve. But I think from a wider society basis, we just want to be able to inspire the next generation. So when our sons and daughters are searching, they're, they're actually presented with the correct information first. So they can see that, hey, these women are achieving these amazing things. It could be me or my wife or, or daughter as well. Really interesting stuff, Rebecca. Uh, so just remind us where we can go to actually uh, find out and learn more about this issue. Fantastic. So if you head to correctthenternet.com, um, it's got our powerful video there, which was shot at Eden Park by an amazing up-and-coming female director called Lexi Hodge. And, um, yeah, it's a very motive video. It's, it's getting amazing feedback. I saw a comment today saying this should be a Super Bowl ad. So <laughs> check the video out. We've got some information on the project. But most importantly, we've got our tool called Get Correcting, where go through and pick one of the stats, or better still, pick all 30 of them that you want to help correct. Click on that and then just follow the few easy steps to help provide that feedback to the search engines. Oh, this is wonderful. I hope to hear more about this, Rebecca, and I hope it changes things. Kia ora. Kia ora. That is former football firm uh, Rebecca Souden there and the team lead on Correct the Internet. Now, that is correctthenet.com. Com. Uh, by the way, look, thank you so much for your uh, birthday comments. Uh, happy birthday, Wallace. You should have taken the day off, says Chris. No. Why would I take the day off when I can be with the listeners? Yeah. You're that, that kind is, of guy. That, You're that, that kind that, of guy. That, 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 is, that, that is what makes me happy. Yes. I don't want to be sitting at home looking at the clouds, listening to Keith Jarrett, <laughs> when I can be sitting here with my listeners here on the panel, okay? So uh, I'm not taking a day off. Wallace, a lovely person made you a birthday cake and you judged it. I'm (laughs) appalled. Yeah, I judged it. But didn't I give it a 9 out of 10? Yeah, and I think there's always room for a little bit of improvement. Wallace, the way you said my highest scoring carrot cake ever makes me think that you've got potential as a food reviewer. (laughs) And Lynn says, if you lived in Scotland, Wallace, today is Robbie Burns Day, the National Bard. So get into the haggis and a wee whiskey and celebrate. Forget about the cake. It's 16 to 5, the panel. By the way, huge response regarding uniforms. We we might come back to that. Thank you very much uh, for that. We have James Elliott and Janet Wilson on this afternoon. Now, a wonky deck, a new shower. What's an unconsented wall to the next person? Well, say you're looking at a property... And then you find out that unconsented work has been done. Should it put you off or is it a bargain? This is a far bigger issue than you might be aware of. To discuss is Christina King, a director at Duncan King Law. Christina, welcome. Thank you and happy birthday, Wallace. Oh, look, of course you wanted to hear about no, monkey decks on your no, birthday. Say nothing of it. Forget about it. I'm not interested <laughs> in the birthday thing anymore, but thank you. Um, I am quite surprised that this is a, a bigger issue than I thought. Do you come across unconsented homes or houses quite a bit? 
We actually do. It is a big a big problem. I think if we actually turn our mind to almost the Kiwi psyche of loving a little bit of DIY, unfortunately that has actually moved forward into us finding a lot of houses where people have undertaken DIY without actually getting the requisite permit or consent from council or not having finished the council process. So actually far more common than you would think. What are some of the common unconsented works that you've seen in property transactions? Gosh, uh, I'd say the most common one we do see is uh, bathrooms that have been renovated completely without consent. So I know we all love a good tiled bathroom, but you know it's quite important that that's actually been done properly with consent and appropriate checks and waterproofing and such like. So bathrooms are a big one, but we actually see completely new rooms added to houses, a second story. Oh my so goodness! One in the last, I know, in the last week where the entire interior of the house, including load-bearing walls and location of kitchens and bathroom had been rearranged without <laughs> any consent whatsoever. What? I know, I know. So, And we actually found it by looking at um, old photos of when it had been previously sold in 2017 and then compared it to what we could currently see on the real estate agent's website. So it's, a lot of the times for us as lawyers, it's almost an exercise in you know being a little bit of a, an investigator and we'll hunt through these old records, whether it's you know, plans or photos to try and find where people have undertaken works because it may not have actually been the current vendor who's who's actually done it. This, I mean, I'm just thinking about this from all sides. The ramifications of this, I mean, this is shocking. Say, for example, I'm a buyer. And let's take that letter example. I find out the bathroom alone is unconsented. I mean, maybe not now, but I could be in the gun for thousands of dollars. Correct, yeah. But there's actually quite a lot even happening in the beginning of your transaction. So the big key players in your transaction uh, are your insurer and your lender. Insurers uh, won't cover um, unconsented or illegal works, or they may limit your cover. If you've got limited cover or no cover, then um, it impacts your lending. So you may find actually leading up to settlement that you actually can't um, complete because the finance offer is withdrawn or the funds themselves are withdrawn on settlement. But moving forward, imagine you've actually bought the house um, and then make an insurance claim to find that uh, your insurer won't pay out for for damage uh, caused by this illegal element. Or again, when you go to sell or potentially even rent the house out as an investor, you've just got this flow-on effect that you may not be able to sell or even rent out the property at all. Gives me the chills. Has anybody been in this situation? Get in touch. Email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Imagine that, James. You You buy a house and, oh, gosh, right, so that wing is not conceded. Well, you know the expression, my home, my castle. Well, my home is a castle, and if I want to put some turrets on there, Remote control drawbridge over the new moat. That's just that's me, and the council should have nothing to do. With it. But what I think what's really interesting is the educative component. I think we would yeah. all instinctively feel, yes, there's probably going to be some consent required to build a second floor or an extra wing, as you say. But where where does the line meet between that and your DIY? I had a quick look at one, a couple of websites for building suppliers, um, and I couldn't see anything obviously. And I wonder if there's an educative component, Christina, mm-hmm. that you know about where where the, you know, the home DIY person or the punter can actually find out easily what they can do and what they can't do. 
sure. And that's a great question. So there's actually a huge amount of resources online in terms of what type of works require building consent or not. Uh, and there's a fantastic piece, even if you just Google exempt works under the Building Act, uh, and it will actually draw you into um, some great brochures that map out some really common types of DIY. So carport versus garage uh, versus removing a, a chimney or putting in a new window. We all love a, a good French door or you know ranch slider. And it maps out a few different scenarios which um, will give some guidance about whether you do need consent or potentially if you could undertake it yourself. Well, that's good. Yeah, Janet. Yeah. Um, I'm interested um, in the scenario of most people would know that they had something that was unconsented before the settlement date on the property, wouldn't it? Wouldn't they? Maybe because the lawyer would have a would have a duty. Well, well, this is the thing. So sometimes these details are quite hidden. So if you and if you you know when we look at a limb, so that's that um, little summary of from the council of of their records and some aspects that they're obliged to produce under law, it only shows uh, the consents that council knows about. But as I often say to people, you don't um, you know sell drugs and tell the police about it. Most of the time, when works have been undertaken illegally, it's completely off council's radar. So the limb itself could um, be completely um, silent as to that information about those works so we need to go a bit further as I was saying looking at the plans the original build plans looking at photos how it's transformed over the years most of our information is gleaned through that and then it really comes down to how good is your lawyer at looking for that information so are they just transacting for you or are they right. collaborating with you to find out what's actually happened to date good point Christina what role does the um, agent the real estate agent, what role do they have to play in this process? Again, great questions. Because keep in mind, a vendor is only obliged under the normal sale and purchase agreement to warrant and disclose the works that they've undertaken. But a real estate agent is obliged to tell you everything they know about the property. Yes. But if the agent hasn't been told because either the vendor hasn't told them or didn't know themselves when they bought, you might find that there's no information because the, vendor, the agent's not psychic and doesn't know. Nothing for the agent to, to pay. Forward. So we always recommend some really good investigations um, before you go into these transactions. So you actually find out yourself rather than hoping and wishing that the, the agent might pass them. Oh, it's great having you on, Christina. I'd love to, I could talk with you far longer, but for now, thanks for your time. Not a problem. My pleasure. Good evening, everybody. That's Christina King there, Director at Duncan King Law on that. Uh, uh, as an Aussie, I've always been impressed, someone says here, with the Kiwi can do. Fix anything with number eight wire. But now, after 20 years living here, I'm wondering if they are so good at fixing up because they're not boarding things right in the first place. <laughs> says a cheeky ex-Aussie, uh, quote, unquote. Now, it's been a summer of tragic drowning, six just in the past weekend in Auckland. Raises the issue though up and down the country, of our new crop of young rookie lifeguards, as they're now attacking the surf, learning how to keep others safe. And that includes the 15 rookies from around Otipote, Dunedin, attending the two-day training of the past couple of days at the Brighton Surf Lifesaving Club. We thought we'd check in with Surf Lifesaving NZ Safety Advisor, Brighton Lifeguard, and rookie instructor, Scott Weatherall. Kia ora, Scott. Oh, good day, uh, team. Yeah, thanks very much for having us. Oh, look, it's it's, it's our pleasure. And there've been warnings now not to swim uh, at beaches. You don't you don't know. Uh, and we've heard a bit about or Beach lately. What's Brighton Beach like? Oh, it's 
beautiful beach. Mm. One would say it's the best beach in the universe. Yeah, um, okay. definitely, definitely. If you live in Brighton, hey, it's um, it is no different to any other surf beach. I mean, it is a beautiful beach. It's um, it's got beautiful uh, rocky outcrops there. But uh, we're no strangers to danger as well down here. You know, there's some uh, resident rips we would call them, but um, mm. and we've also got some beautiful uh, sea life and wildlife that comes and joins us as well. But um, yeah, on the weekend, you know, on Monday and Tuesday, we were uh, fortunate to have 15, 13 um, year olds uh, come and be a part of our rookie lifeguard program, which is pretty exciting. So this is this is and this is what we're talking to you really. This is the new crop of of young young people uh, keeping others safe in the water. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so these lifeguards are going to be uh, basically these young nippers are going to be uh, lifeguards next summer. So it's it's a retention recruitment tool for Surf Life of New Zealand. It's um, you know those young thirteen year olds who are starting to become teenagers and they're starting to want to learn a little bit more. And, and we as an organisation see that and we feel that. So it's yeah, it certainly adds as a, a retention tool for us. And we've got to do fun stuff for them, you know. And yeah. our, our primary goal for those two days were give these kids a, a great time and want them to, so they come back to, and want to be surf lifeguards with us next summer. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what we did and, and I think genuinely that's what we're going to achieve. Which oh, good on you, really Scott. Cool. Stay there, Scott. We'll get uh, responses from uh, Janet uh, and James. Janet. Scott, I'm really interested in, the, in the, the cause of why we're having so many drownings, which is that people aren't learning to mm. swim and whether there is an offshoot um, problem for you you at Surf Lifesaving and that you're finding it hard to recruit young nippers because many of them haven't been taught how to swim properly. Is that a problem for you or do you still find that you are getting enough of them? Coming through oh, the ranks. Um, we, we know we know that uh, recruitment's not a major issue for our surf high seven clubs. Uh, so we we typically get young members through. Uh, we do we do see a drop off around that 13, 14 year old uh, life um, that age. Uh, we also see that a drop off around the 18, 19 year old age, and that's consistent with other sports and organisations because you know it might be little factors like mum or dad or whatever that version looks like not taking the young person to the beach now, whereas previously they. Had have. Uh, it might mean that we're going through different stages of life. We're leaving high school, going on to um, secondary or tertiary education, uh, new jobs and experiences, and as well as there's a whole lot of amazing opportunities out there for our young people. So, yeah, we genuinely think that our, our young people are fantastic. Uh, we definitely get the cream of the crop, uh, you know, in terms of out there. Um, so, yeah, if we can give them a great time, um, then they typically become great lifeguards. Um, we definitely, um, yeah, majority of our young people who join our organisation uh, have got some sense of uh, swimming ability. Uh, some we have to work with, yeah. obviously, uh, just to sort of ensure we can get their capability up, but uh, a lot of it's around uh, confidence and self-confidence in the James. water. So if, if we look back at our, our primary um, our young people, our NIPA program, so this we, we're seeing five and six and seven year olds come and join our program, which is awesome. Our primary focus on that is around water skills, water confidence, teaching these uh, young people that it, it's it's a great play space, it's a great playground. Equally, we need to treat it with the respect that it deserves. Great stuff, because thank you. That's uh, Scott Witherall there, uh, Surf Life Saving NZ Safety Advisor, uh, Brighton Lifeguard and Rookie instructor.
Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National. We have James Elliott and Janet Wilson with us this afternoon. And finally, before we go out, uh, of course, uh, yeah, we're talking birthdays, aren't we? And I want to um, bring on somebody whose day is also a special day. And on the line, we have Shirley. Hello, Shirley. Hello. Good afternoon, Wallace. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> and happy birthday to you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's great. How's your one going? Oh well, I've I've, I've had a I've, I've had a my usual busy day. I start off with a, a swim and spa, so oh, really gosh. important to be able to uh, to learn how to swim. I don't I don't I can't swim very well. I live out west, so about twenty minutes drive from Pihar and uh, and so on. So there's no way that um, that I would go into the waves and whatever. No. Because I can't swim very well, in, in, you know. And to me, the sea is a living, breathing kind of creature. So I think if we get that across to our young people, yeah. that might help a little bit. You sound, um, you, sound, you sound wonderfully young. Can I ask your age? Oh, dear. I have, uh, I, I'm 76. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. I've also been at uh, Citizens Advice Bureau, my local one that I volunteer at. And I did think to myself, well... Um, you know, I could go out and enjoy myself and do something different. Um, but no, I feel I've got my duty and responsibility and I'm helping other people and working with other people. And I felt the same sort of um, thing with, uh, you know, uh, with yourself um, working on your your birthday. It's, it's what we do. And it's, it's what, what we, we do, do Shirley. To enjoy it. You see, on that note, Kiora, it's wonderful having you here. Shirley, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Happy birthday, Shirley. Happy birthday, Shirley. Thank you so much. And what a wonderful panel. I wouldn't share it with anybody else. Janet Wilson and James Elliott. Oh, you get more chocolate for that. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm out of here. All right. Checkpoint next. I'm back tomorrow, 3.45. See you then.